Good morning, everyone. Welcome. You like our new setup here? You, you guys are kind of close. Some of you guys are kind of brave being this close here. I'm, I thought you were Baptist and like to be in the back row there. Uh, but greetings. Welcome to everyone today. I hope everyone had a uh, joyous Thanksgiving. And uh, from the looks of you, I think uh, we've all are pretty stuffed uh, during this week. I, am, I know I am. I think I put on about five pounds in a weekend. So, uh, and I'm grateful for that and grateful for the opportunity to share a time of uh, of blessings with family. Uh, today also is our first Sunday of Advent, which is a time to prepare for the coming of Christ. So welcome on this first Sunday of Advent. We welcome our, our guests, especially today. You're very important to us. And this time of the year at Thanksgiving and the holidays and Advent, looking up towards Christmas, it's a time for family. And so we welcome you to our family today and hope that you'll feel very much a part of our family this morning. Uh, let me remind you of a few announcements. First of all, let me remind everyone of the attendance sheets on each row. We'd like to ask if you would to take those and fill them out so we could have a record of your attendance this morning. And then a few activities that are coming up in the next couple of weeks. Uh, beginning this week, uh, we are continuing on Wednesday our uh, Bible study. We have begun a Bible study on the topic of worship. And uh, we've had a couple of sessions on that. And this week we're going to be dealing with the, the topic of interceding uh, as a part of our worship. So you're welcome to come and join us for supper at 545 on Wednesday. Uh, the uh, menu is in your worship folder there. And then hang around for our Bible study at 630 and we'll have a, a good time of discussion and interceding uh, for people uh, who, who are in need, who need our prayers. Also on December the 8th, our women's mission group will be having their annual Christmas meal and auction. Uh, that will be December the 8th at 6, 6 o'clock in the evening at Lana Hopgood's house. And I know the ladies will uh, look forward to that. And then on December the 13th, uh, we will be having our Christmon service at 3 o'clock here, here in the sanctuary there. And then at 3 o'clock, uh, and then after that, we'll be having our deacon's uh, open house and time of fellowship. Uh, our Christmas service, we've had one before. It's a time where we decorate our Christmas tree with signs of Christ, symbols of Christ. It's a, it's a nice service and hope you'll be here for that. Uh, it is, tis the season to bring joy and love to those around us. So let me invite you now to stand and greet each other with the love of Christ in your hearts.
Good morning. I was hoping they had a platform up here because I don't think I'd be able to reach otherwise. Um, some of you know me and some of you may not know me. Um, my name is Brittany Smith. Christine is my mom. And Jerry and uh, Phil are my grandparents. And John, oh, and, uh, John Cornelius is my stepdad if you know him. Um, the reason that I wanted to talk to the church today was um, a while back a question was posed to me. Um, my husband and I, we live in Newburgh because um, he is from Evansville and he's not a UK fan, so I can't bring him to the Big Blue Nation. He'd get eaten up here. Um, so someone asked me, well, if you live out in Newburgh, why do you drive all the way to this church? Why don't you just pick a different church? And I was like, because the thought actually never crossed my mind about picking a different church. Um, to me, I didn't pick this church. This is where my family is and where and my extended family. You know, I spent as much time at the Hobsons when I was a kid as I did at my own house. Um, you know, and I've been to the Hopgood's house more times than I can count. You know, it, this place feels like family to me. Um, and, um, you know, I told that person, I said, well, you know, Community Baptist is family to me, and that is where I feel at home. I, would, I couldn't see myself ever leaving this church, whether I lived two hours away or an hour away. To me, it's not just as easy as picking up and saying, okay, I'll just go to this church or this church. Um, but I felt that way even more when this person asked me this question um, because of some things that happened in our family's life. Um, when it was about July, well, let me back up. Um, my birthday's on July 3rd. So um, my husband and I, we had went out for the night on July 3rd. And we had had my mother-in-law watch our child. And I woke up, and my phone, I had a 100 messages. Um, I have two brothers um, that are not my mother's children. I have two brothers. One of them, he was calling, and he was texting, and, and on and on. And my aunt had sent a 100 texts, but my phone had been off because we had been at the movies the night before. And so um, when I look, it says, you have to get to the hospital right now. Your dad's very sick. And then further down, it says, you know, He's went into a coma. We can't do anything. You have to get here. So me and my husband, we rushed and we rushed um, to the hospital. And uh, what I'll tell you, my dad was only 49 at this time, um, but had some very large drug issues. Um, and so me and my husband, we rushed there. And in the end, we, they weren't able to do anything. And he ended up dying, which was really, really hard. And then my other side of my family, um, my grandfather has MS. My grandfather or my grandmother, she um, has very late stages of Alzheimer's now, but she was in the early stages then. This is my, my father's parents, uh, who he also helped to take care of. And so um, we sit down, and no one in the family has any money. So um, I'm not sure if any of you have ever had this situation, but... If you have any money, you can't bury someone. You know, it's not it's very expensive to actually bury someone, as I found out. And my father had no life insurance. And so, um, you know, we sit down and we thought, oh, my God, what are we going to do? Um, and I will tell you, this community is wonderful. Um, I knew someone at a, at a funeral home that 
that kind of helped us with our pricing a little bit. I, she'd actually been my Girl Scout troop leader. Um, but um, I talked to my family, and um, we were not able to, we're not going to have enough money to bury my dad and do a, do a service is what I thought. And I thought, I don't know what we're going to do. And so what we were actually able to do, and we could never, never have done it without this church, is we were able to um, have a memorial service here for my dad, which was fantastic because he loved sports. So in the end, it ended up being a perfect place to have a memorial with basketball and the gym. And, um, and Dr. Hobbs was amazing because Dr. Hobbs did not know my dad. But I asked him to do the service, and uh, when we came in, um, you know, we we told him that we did not want the service to be about um, my dad's addiction because that had become his whole life at the end. That's all everybody wanted to talk about is, you know, not doing it and, and get clean. And, and I said, you know, this is the time we want to remember what he was like before, you know, this before he lost hope and these bad things took over. And so Dr. Hobbs said, wonderful service um and my aunt if you ever met her she's a little crazy and um she just went on and on and on and dr hobbs was able to incorporate all those little stories that she wanted to incorporate and i swear she probably had 500 of them so for him to be able to do that was amazing um and then after that happened um i had a church member who um sent a donation to the church, and Dottie sent me an email. And this church member only had $10. That's all she could spare was $10. But she had known my father in the past, um, because my grandmother used to drive a bus, and she had um, donated this $10 in memory of my father to this church, which is a huge thing to me, you know, that she would take $10 that she didn't have to give to, you know, in memory here, that she cared about me and my family enough to do that. Um, after my father died, our year got a little worse. Um, the day after my father died, my grandfather was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. So, in our church, we could not have gotten through that part without every, you know, everybody here. Um, and then, um, if you guys have met my son Everett, Everett was born on my father's birthday. Um, so his first birthday would have been my father's 50th birthday. On um, Everett's first birthday, my grandfather with MS died on my dad's birthday. And so um, then, like I said, my grand- grandmother has Alzheimer's. So that's, you know, so in about a year and a half, um, you know, me and my son lost almost half of our family to multiple things. And so we appreciate this church so much and everything that you guys do for us. Um, what Rachel's going to come up and talk about in a minute is the future. And, um, you know, like I said, with us losing half of our family, our future is here at Community Baptist with our our family, you know, the people that we have met and the people that we're going to come to meet. Um, one thing that I'll, I'll tell you that really helped me kind of get involved back in the church, um, Dr. Hobbs is actually on my board at um, Habitat. I kind of tricked him into being on the board. Um, but he came and said, um, you know, we really need a Sunday school teacher. And I'm like, well, if you really need one, I'll do it. But that was I, that was empty words out of my mouth. I, did, I it was not really planning on doing that. And then a couple weeks later he said, do you remember when we talked and you said that you'd be a Sunday school teacher? And I was like, uh, vaguely. And he was like, 
he was like, well, I need you to teach the youth Sunday school. And so um, I will tell you to watch out for Dr. Hobbs because he has, when, whenever you, you know, are kind of having trouble or you're, your life's kind of unraveling or you're kind of um, not slipping away but letting other things become more important, um, he kind of has a way of, of, you know, knowing what certain ways to kind of draw you back in because he knew that if I took over the Sunday school class, that if I say I'm going to do something, I do it, so I'm going to be here every Sunday, you know, to teach it. And so at 8.30, I'm like, oh, come on, Everett, let's go get dressed so we can get in the car and go to church. So I told Dr. Hobbs I'd do this. So, um, but like I said, we, my, me and my family appreciate this church so much. And I wanted to kind of get up and tell that story in case there's anybody else in here that is having similar issues or feeling like they need, you know, a family this church has something that other churches in town, I just don't get the same thing from. And, um, you know, we were talking about it's not up there, um, being the presence of Christ in a world in need. And I, I really think we are, whether we are 50 strong or 100 strong. Um, anywhere that I go, people from here are always volunteering or they're doing a community service project or um, we may be small, but we are very mighty. So thank you. We look forward to Christmas and to a new and better world beyond. We are called to care for and protect this fragile earth, to bring joy where there is sadness, justice where there is despair, peace where there is discord. There are our Christmas gifts to a troubled world. As we look forward to Christmas, we light this first candle in expectations of the coming of Christ and as a promise that we will never forget the task he gives us, to be stewards of the world and friends to its people. Let us pray. Lord, as we prepare for this Christmas, help us to take each opportunity to make our world a better place. Amen. You'll join me in our responsive reading. Our Lord, we enter this season of Advent and our hearts echo the church's plea. Come, Lord Jesus. Come to each day. Come into this troubled and hurting world and be our hope. Come into this season of life and be our soul's true light. Come into this time of celebration and be our joy. Come into our lives and be life for us, now and forevermore. Come and be Emmanuel, God with us. God for us. Amen.
Good morning. The scripture reading today is from Luke um, chapter 25, verses 25 through 36. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on the earth distress among nations, confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great joy. Now when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Then he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all things have taken place. Heaven and earth will not pass away, but my words will not pass away. Will pass away. Excuse me. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life, and that day catch you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all who live on the face of the whole earth. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place and to stand before the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Be to God. Good morning, boys and girls. You're ready to come on down. Have a seat. How are y'all doing today? Great. Hey, Joe. Everybody. Well, you know it's a long month whenever you get to see me. You know that? Because I always get the opportunity to do the children's moment on the fifth Sunday of every month. So if it's a long month, you always get me. And I've been doing the fifth Sunday children's moment probably for about as long as I've been at this church. And that's I have enjoyed we Advent growing up I didn't was in a part of a Baptist church but we didn't celebrate Advent per se as we do here in this church today is the first Sunday of Advent and today's Sunday is all about getting ready for what's coming up what's coming up what's that Joe Christmas is coming up so what do you do to get in a car when you're getting ready, to, or a motorcycle, you go, right? Y'all, can y'all do that like you're going to ride a motorcycle? Come on. You're, that's what you do when you're getting ready. So this Sunday, the first Sunday of Advent, is about getting ready for what's coming here on Christmas Day, and that the first day of Jesus. And I've got some little easy tips that I'm going to give you all that might help you get ready, be revved up for Christmas time. And they're real simple little things that you might be able to do in your everyday life. And I'm going to give them to you and, and see what you think. First thing, tip I'm going to give you is eat breakfast. How many of you eat breakfast every morning? Do you eat breakfast? Well, that's one thing that you can do to have a good Advent season is eat breakfast and just eat good in general. And the other thing is try to go to bed time. Doesn't that And get some extra. And then a third thing I want you to do for getting ready for Christmas is look for people that might not be having a good day. And what are some of the simple things that I've talked about before, before to 
people that are not having it. What can you do for somebody that's uh, not having a good day? One of the easiest, simple things I've found to do is just smile and say hello. There might be people in your class that uh, have had some bad situation happen in their lives and they, they're not happy, but just by you coming up and saying hello to them or smiling at them can have them help a good day, have them have a good day. So as we prepare and look for Easter to come, those are some tips that I have for you, and I hope to see you in church here the, the rest of this Advent season. You ready to go? And go? Get ready? Okay, let's do it, and we can go back to children's moment, children's time. Let's go. Get ready for Advent. Thank you, boys and girls. Pray. 
Most gracious Heavenly Father, we have so much to be thankful for. Hopefully we have remembered these during this time of Thanksgiving. And with the many things that we are thankful for, now we want to share them with you as we make these offerings in your name. Bless the people who are giving them and help those, guide those people that are deciding what these offerings should be used for. All these things we ask in thy name. Amen.
I was taking a trip on a plane the other day Just wishing that I could get out When the man next to me saw the book in my hand And asked me what it was about So I settled back in my seat A bestseller, I said A history and mystery in one Then I opened up the book and began to read From Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John He was born of a virgin one holy night In the little town of Bethlehem Angels gathered underneath the stars Singing praises to the great I Am He walked on the wall to heal the lame And made the blind to see again And for the first time here on earth We learned that God could be a friend No, He never ever did a single thing wrong The angry crowd chose Him And then He walked down the road and died on the cross And that was the end of the beginning That's not a new book That's the Bible, he said, and I've heard it all before. I tried religion, it's shame and guilt, and I don't need it anymore. It's superstition and made-up tales just to help the weak to survive. Let me read it again, I said, but listen closely. This is going to change your life. He was born of a virgin one holy night in the little town of Bethlehem. Angels gather round him underneath the stars singing praises to the great I Am. He walked on the wall to heal the lame and made the blind to see again. And for the first time here on earth, we learn that God could be a friend. And though he never ever did a single thing wrong, the angry crowd chose him. And then he walked down the road and died on the cross. And that was the end of the beginning. The end of the beginning, he said with a smile. What more could there be? He's dead. You said they hung him, put nails in his hands and a crown of thorns on his head. I said, I'll read it again, but this time there's more. And I believe that this is true. His death wasn't the end, but the beginning of life that's completed in you. Don't you see? He did all this for you. He was born of a virgin one holy night in the little town of Bethlehem. All the angels singing, praising to the great I Am. He walked on the wall to heal the lame and made the blind to see. Did you know that God could be a friend? No, He never ever did a single thing wrong. He was the one the crowd chose. And then He walked and He died. But three days later, three days later, three days later,
How wonderful that is. I love it when uh, Rick sings for us, but I also hate it because I usually have to follow him. Thank you, Rick. In, in one of his books, motivational speaker Zig Ziglar tells a story of NFL quarterback Jeff Hostetler, formerly of the New York Giants. You see, at the beginning of his career, Jeff was a backup quarterback. And by the end of his seventh season as a backup quarterback, he had thrown less than 200 passes. And none of those passes had any bearing on any of the games that they were played in whatsoever. But then Phil Simms, the starting quarterback, went down with an injury one day. And Coach Bill Parcells looked looked to Hostetler on the bench and said, Okay, Jeff, it's your turn. So Jeff ran out onto the field and led his team to a victory. Not only in that game, but in all of the rest of the games that season, including the Super Bowl. However, as Ziegler points out, there was more to the story than that. Because during all of those seven years that Jeff was waiting his turn, He threw thousands of passes through swinging tires. He worked with his wide receivers and running backs in countless practice sessions, sharpening and honing his skills. He lifted tons of weights, did hundreds of push-ups and sit-ups, jogged thousands of miles and did numerous wind sprints. He spent hundreds of hours poring over the playbook studying not only his own offense, but also the defenses of the opposing teams. So you see, when Coach Parcells turned to Hostetler and said, Okay, Jeff, it's your turn, Jeff was ready. Today we begin the season of the church year known as Advent. And Advent is a time for getting ready. It's a time of preparation. It's a time to get ready. The Latin derivative of the word Advent literally means to come. And so during these next four weeks, we focus our attention on the coming of Christ into our world. We consider the words of the prophets and their expectations of the coming Messiah. And we also ponder the meaning of those texts in the New Testament that speak of Christ's return to rule to judge, and to save at the end of time. Now, we live in a time when we are surrounded by signs. Have you noticed that? That song from the 60s, you may remember, if you were a child of the 60s, you know that song, signs, signs, everywhere a sign, blocking out the scenery, breaking my mind, do this, don't do that, can't you read the sign? Some of you were singing that in your head, weren't you? 
Some of you may have grown up in an era before interstate highways when most of the travel was done on two-lane roads. And along those roads, one would often find a series of four small red signs with a humorous poem on them and then a fifth sign touting their sponsor. Does anybody remember what I'm talking about there? Burma shave, that's right. Barbasol. Right church, wrong pew. <laughs> that's the second time I've used that today. Burmache, that's right. For those of you who are, who are too young to remember, here was, here's some examples of those signs, of those points. Drove too long, driver snoozing. What happened next is not amusing. Burmache. <laughs> or around the curve, lickety split, beautiful car. Wasn't it? Burma shave. And my favorite, the midnight ride of Paul for beer led to a warmer hemisphere. I'll let you think on that one a little bit. As the song says, sign signs everywhere a sign. So let's talk for a few moments today about signs. Last Christmas, a woman named Patricia planned to attend a family reunion in Florida. It had been years since all of her family had been together. Many of them had lived, moved to different parts of the world, had started families of their own, and so it's hard to get back together again. And, some, and over the years, children were born to the different families, and some of, some of the relatives had never even met each other. And so this formerly close-knit family decided to have a reunion to help the younger ones get to know their relatives better. Well, Patricia had been looking forward to this event for a long, long time. She had even helped to plan the reunion, and, and now it was time for the event to take place. But instead of flying to Florida, Patricia decided to drive in order to save a little money and also to allow her to do some exploring along the way and see new things along the way. But there was a problem because, you see, Patricia liked to talk on her cell phone as she drove and she liked listening to her iPod as she drove along the highway. And, and apparently the distractions of her high tech toys caused her to miss a sign for an important turn. And before long, she was lost. She began to worry. This was an event that she did not want to miss. She had been looking forward to this reunion for quite some time. But because she missed that sign, she missed her turn. And therefore, she missed most of the reunion. By the time she got there, some of her relatives had already left. You see, signs are important. Imagine trying to navigate your way in an area unknown to you without signs or a GPS. Signs keep us aware of our surroundings. They help, with, help us with directions. And they even help to keep us safe by offering us warnings about something that may be coming ahead. So, to ignore a sign is risky. And it can sometimes be quite costly. Go back with me to the year 1941. Two American soldiers observed something unusual on their radar screen. 
They reported it to their supervisor, a young, inexperienced lieutenant. It was a peaceful Sunday morning. Nobody else around. And this young lieutenant, thinking that, that what they had seen on the radar were, were, were planes uh, on maneuvers from California, that he said, don't worry about it. But they should have worried about it. What these two soldiers had seen were the first signs of 353 planes on their way to Pearl Harbor that day. And they reached their destination about two hours later on December the 7th, 1941. Don't worry about it, said their superior officer. A very critical sign was missed and a tragic, devastating attack took place. Signs are important. Well, our lesson for today begins like this. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At a time they will see the sun, at that time they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. In this passage, Jesus notes that there are signs that will come along with the coming of the Son of Man. Now, if if you remember, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, we looked at a similar passage to this and, and, and But it was a passage that talked about the coming of Christ. But in that passage, we emphasize that Christ said that no one, not even himself, not even he knew when that day would be. And yet he said, there will be signs. And these signs will cause people to be terrified, he says. The signs include the sun and the moon and stars being shaken and the sea roaring and being tossed and the world will experience an unprecedented state of chaos. Things will be out of control. It's, very, it's a very disturbing passage of Scripture here. Yet notice what he says about these events. First of all, he says, when these things begin to take place, Stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Did you hear that? When these frightening things begin to take place, stand up, lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Now, does that sound like he's trying to frighten us? No. He doesn't say, duck, run for cover, go crazy with fear. He says, stand up, lift up your head, for your redemption is drawing near. That wonderful preacher, Tony Campolo, says that when he was a young boy growing up, preachers used to scare kids all the time by warning them that Jesus could appear at any moment and woe be unto them if Jesus turned up and found them in a movie theater. Tony said that he grew up with a constant fear that every time he went to the movies, Jesus might come while he was in there and he'd miss the end of the movie. 
And there are still those kinds of preachers around who, who use fear as a motivator. And to some degree, they seem to be very successful at it. As for me, though, I've never been very good at mixing faith with fear. Especially during Advent. Because, folks, if you love Jesus, the, then the thought of Him coming anytime, whether at Christmas time or at the end of the world... That ought to be an occasion of great joy. It's not fear. Isaac Watts wrote those immortal words, Joy to the world! The Lord has come! That's my kind of religion. It's like a story one pastor tells about his seminary days. It seems that at this particular seminary, there were... There was was no gymnasium on the seminary campus, and so the seminary students would go and play basketball in a nearby uh, public school. And so the janitor at the school, who was an old man with, with white hair, he would wait patiently while the seminaries played their game until they finished their game, and each time he would he would sit down on the on the bench and read his Bible. And so one day one of the seminary students went up to him and asked, "What are you reading?" And the old janitor replied, the book of Revelation. Well, with a bit of surprise, the seminarian asked, the book of Revelation? Do you understand it? And the man said, oh yeah, of course, I understand it. So the seminarian replied with great surprise, you understand the book of Revelation? What does it mean? And very quietly, the old janitor said, it means that Jesus is going to win. You know, that's all that matters to those who love Jesus. Jesus is going to win. And that has to be good news for anyone who loves our Lord. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. That's great news. Then he told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and look at all the trees. You can see for yourself and, and know that summer is near. He said, even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Wow. I can't wait. When you see the world going crazy, we'll know that the kingdom of God is near. Now, what does that mean? Well, do you know what the kingdom of God is? As theologian Marcus Borg puts it, the kingdom of God is what life would be like here on earth if God were king and not everybody else. It is a world of economic justice and peace. It is a world where the nations will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks because there will be no need anymore for weapons. Every family will own grapevines and fig trees. In other words, everyone will have their own land and have the means to cultivate it for the necessities of life. Every person will be able to get along and, 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 and have their needs taken care of. And no one is made to live in fear. That sounds like a pretty good place, doesn't it? 
A place where no one is made to live in fear. Does that mean no more cancer? No more foreclosures on homes? No more unemployment? No more war? No more sickness? No more pain? Sign me up. But it is so hard for us to even imagine a world like that. And you know why? Because we are such a fearful people. Last year, one man died in this country from Ebola. And you would have thought the whole world was collapsing. We live in a time when there is more hope for people who are sick than there has ever been before in the history of the world. And yet, we are more fearful of disease than any generation before us. And we worry about the economy. Sure, the recession caused a lot of us to tighten our belts a little bit. But the truth is that Many of us live in homes that are twice the size of our parents' homes. And yet, somehow, we've got the idea that the whole economy is about to collapse. And we're, we're worried about events in the Middle East. But folks, let me tell you something. If you compare the threats of ISIS, and I'm not downplaying them because they're a terrible group of people, as terrible as they are. But if you compare the threats of ISIS with the threats of somebody, say, like Hitler, you will have to see that, they, that we have no idea how good we have it. And yet, to watch the cable news networks, you would think that the whole world is about to collapse. But listen to this. The call of Christ for this first Sunday of Advent is not a call to live in fear. It is a call to live in faith. Some of the wisest words regarding the topic of fear were spoken by President George W. Bush shortly after Al-Qaeda launched their attack on September the 11th, 2001. He said something to the effect that the goal of terrorism is to evoke terror in the lives of people across our land. The best thing that we can do is to live our lives as we always have and not be afraid. For if we live our lives in perpetual fear, then the terrorists have won. They have achieved their goal. Unfortunately, our nation, indeed our world, has not followed that advice. In fact, our politicians and the media have discovered how easy it is to manipulate the masses by the perpetuation of fear. In my opinion, many of the problems of our land today can be boiled down to one thing. We're afraid. We're afraid of terrorists. We're afraid of disease. We're afraid of immigrants. We're afraid of anyone who disagrees with us. And of course, when people are afraid, that's when they lash out, which explains the dichotomy and the distrust that marks our political system today. 
But here's the thing, folks. There will always be bad things that happen in this world. Always. But listen to this. God will never forsake you. God will never forsake us. A few verses later, after this passage, Christ says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now, does that mean that we can trust the promises that Jesus has made to us? Yes, that's exactly what that means. Including the promise that no matter what happens to us, God will give us a peace that passes all understanding if we trust God. We can trust God's promise every, every time including the promise that God will never forsake us, including the promise that Christ has gone to prepare a mansion for us, that where He is, so we will be also. We can stake our lives on that, folks. It's true. And then His last words to us are this. Be always on the watch. Be always on the watch. Like a child waiting for Santa Claus. Be on watch. Like a couple waiting for the birth of their child. Be on watch. Like a family waiting for the return of their soldier after receiving word that he's safe and coming home. Be on watch. Robbie Robbins was an Air Force pilot during the first Iraq war. And after his 300th mission, he was surprised to be given permission to immediately pull his crew together and fly their plane, his plane to, uh, back to the United States. These young military men flew across the ocean to Massachusetts, and then they had a long drive to western Pennsylvania. This was all spur of the moment. And they drove all night, and when his buddies dropped Robbins off at his driveway just after sunup, there was a big banner hanging across the garage that said, Welcome home, Dad. Welcome home, Dad. How did they know? Nobody had called them. The, and, and the crew themselves hadn't, hadn't expected to leave so quickly. Robin says that he went, when he walked into the house, the, the kids who were half-dressed for school screamed, Daddy! His wife Susan came running down the hall and she looked terrific. She, her hair was fixed. She had makeup on. She was wearing a crisp yellow dress. And he asked, how did you know? And she answered through tears of joy, we didn't. We knew you would try to surprise us, so we were ready every day. That is to be our attitude towards Advent. This is a season of waiting on tiptoe. For our redemption is drawing near. The kingdom is drawing near. Christ's words will never pass away. You can trust His promises forever. Be always on the watch with great anticipation. As the carol says, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. 
that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice! Rejoice! Emmanuel shall come to thee. Come, Lord Jesus. Bring your kingdom of peace and love and hope for each of us forever. Amen. Let us sing together our closing hymn, number 492, Pure in Heart, O God. O good and righteous Lord, how we love you for being everything that we could be. Help us, O God. Help us to live the righteous lives of love and compassion and hospitality that you have called us to live. And we thank you, O God, for tomorrow and for all of its possibilities, for all of its signs and wonders pointing to your presence in our world We are standing here today because you have taught us to walk in your way and to watch and to pray for your coming without fear or apprehension. You are so very near to us, O God. We feel your presence in our midst and we long for the day when we will see you face to face. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. Amen.